Hello and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Josh Chappell. Today, we'll be talking about TSI Steveland with Land's player extraordinaire Frank, and then a discussion of holiday foods. here with Frank Single. He was the winner of the most recent Team Serious Invitational, which was held the previous Saturday in Cleveland at our friend Steve McGrew's house. Hence, it has been named TSI Steveland. So we had a total of five rounds of Magic, and then a play-in round to top four, and then a top four, and Frank played great. So welcome to the show, Frank. Yeah, thank you. It was uh, there's a lot of magic played that day. <laughs> there was a lot of magic, and you played it pretty well. So, how long have you been playing lands? Lands specifically, not the card type, the deck. Oh, darn! I really want to wax poetic on Basic Forest. I feel like it's been a while. You played lands for a long time. I'd probably say like I've been playing it since 2013 or so. 2013, 2014. Okay, it's a long time on one deck. Yeah, that is a long time to focus on one thing. I mean, I know you've played other things as well. I know you played Dredge for a little while and some other stuff. Well, I started playing in Legacy since then. I didn't pick up uh, Vintage Lands up until like I saw Jody Keith playing it like two years ago oh, okay. or so yeah. at Eternal Weekend. And so he was the one who sort of inspired you that you could play it in Vintage as well? Yeah, or? I saw that. I'm like, what the hell is this pile? And I'm like, yeah, that's my kind of pile. <laughs> I swore off Blood Moons and swore to Dark Depths. Right. So why don't you break down the deck for us? I know in previous lands iterations in Legacy, they've been named with the number of lands in the deck. The version that you played last weekend has, uh, did I count 22 lands? Is that right? Or sorry, not, not right, 32. Yeah, it's more in the uh, the 30 range. Yeah. I think it was like 35. It's, it's usually about like in, a, in the 30s nowadays. So it used to be like 43 lands back when the, uh, I think back when the deck used to kill the Creeping Tar Pit and Friends, or maybe even like Nantucko Monastery, uh -huh. but that was like before my time. I didn't uh, get onto the deck until after Thespian Stage was printed, and suddenly gave the deck away to just be like, oops, take 20. Right. Yeah, because you're playing it with the Dark Depths combo, and your list has three Dark Depths and four of the Thespian Stage. Yeah. So I'm curious, what are your other uh, notable copies with Thespian Stage at the TSI? Did you copy anything other uh -oh. than Dark Depths? I saw Forbidden Orchard. So at this TSI or at any TSI where I've played Thespian Stage? You know, whatever is going to be the best story here. Oh, man. <laughs> Last TSI at your house, it was... Uh, I cast a uh, Song of the Dryad to make a uh, laboratory maniac into a forest. Nice. So, of course... Me being the judge I am, couldn't resist an opportunity to uh, turn my thespian stage into a laboratory maniac, and then turn my other thespian stage into a laboratory maniac, and then proceed to do anemic 2-2 beatdown, because my deck just kind of refused to find a 2020 for me, nor a life in the loam for the longest time. So, wait, let me, let me get that let me get that right. Song of the Dryad turns a permanent into a land, or a creature into a A permanent land? into a forest. So the laboratory maniac that the Song of the Dryads is on is just a forest. It's not forest with laboratory maniac text. It's just a forest uh, right. without, like, the laboratory maniac text. I think Song of the Dryads turns it green, and I think, like, it probably still keeps the same name. This is possibly the most judge-centric beatdown I've heard in my entire yeah, life. This is, this is hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, like, the way the uh, the layers work is yeah. the very first layer is copy, where if you have a copy effect, your card just becomes a copy of whatever's, like, written on the card. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So my Thespian stage, like, in the, in the very first 
layers. Like, okay, you are, insert card here. In this case, it happened to be a laboratory maniac. And because my thespian stage didn't have a song of the dryad staple to it, right. it actually was a laboratory maniac that still also had the ability to turn into something else if I wanted it to. Uh, right, because that's the ability that thespian stage grants to it. Correct. Right. That's ridiculous. You said you were beating down with it. I would have been really impressed had you emptied your library and won that way. <laughs> yeah, no, the turn before I died, I finally found a loam with the pile of bazaars I had. I think I had like two or three bazaars at that point, and I couldn't find a loam mm-hmm. nor depths for the longest time. But I think, like, given, like, one or two more turns, I probably could have decked myself with two laboratory maniacs in play. Yeah, no, I mean, certainly with between Life from the Loam and Bazaar, like, you could get through your deck pretty quickly if you had a bunch of them. The funny thing, too, is, like, if I were to actually go in on that plan, I'd expect, like, a my opponent, who happened to be playing Doomsday at the time, uh, if they tried to, like, blow me out with, like, an Echoing Truth or something, I'd be able to turn the one he targets into a... Uh, into something else. <laughs> into a land, specifically. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that wouldn't actually bounce, and the other one would just sit there and be like, suck it, nerd. Yeah, man. Sometimes I'm envious and think it must be nice being a judge where you're just like, oh, yeah, that totally works. Or or being a judge and being able to tell your opponent, yeah, this totally works, even though maybe it doesn't. <laughs> or just being good at magic. Yeah. Man. Did you, did you think that maybe, just maybe, this rules interaction won't work out favorably for you? Yes, sir. Can I bolt Norn the Wary? Yeah. (laughs) Fun things like that. Maybe when we get done talking about lands, we'll talk a little bit about Time Vault because that still bugs me. Wait, what's what's the deal with Time Vault? We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. 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 Focusing on lands, we'll get there. (laughs) So anyway, that Thespian stage interaction seems pretty incredible. I know I saw you copy a Forbidden Orchard to keep up with Oath, which I thought was, you know... Oath only triggers depending on the number of creatures in play. So if you can keep up with your opponent's orchard tokens, like can't they can stack them. that appropriately so that not necessarily no okay. So what Oath requires it requires you to target someone that has uh, that tar- has more creatures than you do. Right. But of course, first thing you do on your uh, upkeep is try to put your triggers on the stack. Right. And if you don't have a legal target, you can't put that on the stack. Right. The time I saw it was before Oath was out, so it was just a precautionary measure to stay on top. Ward of off the... future Oaths, yeah. yeah Using Thesmic to... stages. Right. Oath of Druid's removal. <laughs> right. Something I need to, I think I want to try to go back in on is uh, actually trying to use that to my advantage, where if my opponent trial plays an Oath, I can try to out-Oath them. Oh, and sure. And then Oath into something uh, ridiculous like a Ramanef Excavator. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> Why are you oathing into a 2 3? Well, you see, that's just because I just milled through a bunch of my deck, and there's probably now a Thespian Station of Dark Depths in there. Right, right. It'd be pretty funny. I mean, obviously, you have a bunch of lands in your main deck, and you're not running them in the sideboard, but like against Oath, if you were like bringing in an extra Forbidden Orchard and a Ramen Up Excavator, like that seems hilarious. Uh, you don't really even always need like a uh, Forbidden Orchard to really fight them, uh, sure. like fight that angle. You really just need like a Wasteland effect and a Tabernacle. And to make sure that they never actually have an oath on your upkeep. Right, yeah, Tabernacle is pretty useful for that just because you, you can get rid of your oath tokens or orchard tokens. Oh no, I sure didn't pay for them. That sucks. Yeah, weird. Weird how that works. But actually, I like some of the lands in here that you have as potential copies. Not that they would work with Thespian Stage, but just some of the one-of lands that you have, like Bojuka Bog and Maze of Ith and Caracas and Glacial Chasm. Like, Glacial Chasm is... <laughs> oh, Glacial Chasm, that's a, that's a fun one. <laughs> Yeah. Turns out there's a lot of times where a Glacial Chasm is actually just kind of hilarious. For example, you look at any of your uh, PO opponents, and they just finished tinkering a Blightsteel into play or something like that. Yeah. And they have, like, a million, uh, like, monk tokens in play after they just finished POing through, like, their whole deck. And you sit there, and you're like, huh, well, that would look scary. You've got, like, 150 power on board and a, and a Blightsteel Colossus and, like, five cards in your deck. Good thing I've got this Glacial Chasm in 20 life. Yeah. 
and also crop rotations that helps, right? Yeah, kind of. I mean, like mental missteps everywhere. So that always kind of puts a damper on the plan. That's why I keep one of the crop rotations in the sideboard for like the, the decks that don't play mental misstep. How often do you get blown out by the mental misstep on crop rotation? Really not all that often. People tend to prefer to actually misstep the explorations, fast bonds, mana bond type effects. Oh, interesting. You have a bunch of one drops in this. So your your list has uh, two crop rotations, two mana bonds, a fast bond, and four exploration. Any of those is going to be a really powerful target for mental misstep, which I suppose is why you run two mental missteps of your own. Yeah, that's why I got to run some myself. Yeah. Just matter trying to force them through. So do you pretty much always save your mental missteps defensively, or is it situational? Not entirely. It, it, it really is situational. Oftentimes, if I'm playing against Paradoxical Outcome, I'll pop it off in like the first thing I see, hmm. just because I want to make it to turn two to like stick a null rod or something. Oh, sure. Sometimes mental missteps will be pretty good if the, your opponent wants to source a plash, here's your 20-20, or repeal it. Oh, right. I don't know, man. That's 20 life. Yeah. <laughs> but you played against <sighs> um, Paradoxical three times at the Invitational, and it seems yep. like that should be a terrible matchup for you. Like, I'm looking at your deck and, you know, you have a bunch of weird stuff that lets you play multiple lands. And then you have three Null Rods and three Ancient Grudge and a Chalice of the Void. Like, those are going to be your big hitters and Ancient Grudge is kind of questionable because, I mean, like, you're just hitting two of their mana sources. Mm-hmm. Which I suppose is fair because you're hitting a lot of their mana sources with Wasteland. Hitting a lot of their mana sources. Yeah, so... I mean, you're really trying to pin them down under mana. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that matchup? Because I think that seems to be the matchup that everyone is scared of right now. The paradoxical yeah. not lands. So, like, I've always considered that to be a pretty bad matchup, and I'm still pretty sure it's, like, not actually a good matchup. But, I mean, I beat three PO decks, so, like, at, at some level, I'm sure it's not, like, the worst. But still, the decks that I beat weren't actually playing Mental Misstep, which actually made my life a whole hell of a lot easier. So how did those games go? Like, how were you able to win? I mean, were a lot of them mana denial on your side? Yeah, when I was playing against uh, Adam Yurchik, I managed to have a uh, Chalice on zero pretty quickly in two of my uh, games against him. Because, well, with a, a turn on Bizarre Baghdad, it lets you look for, like, see approximately, like, ten cards in your first turn. Hmm. And then if you have, like, a Mox or two, you can stick a Null Rod that turn. Or if you don't have, like, a Mox or two, you can just drop the Chalice on zero if you hit that. Chalice on Zero is often going to be something that PO is going to have to hard counter. Yeah, they'll have to deal with it at some point, for sure. And actually, I guess a lot of the PO decks have been running Monastery Mentor, so I guess Tabernacle comes into play there as well? Yeah, but I'm finding that you really don't really need Tabernacle for that, because Glacial Chasm works just fine uh, in that regard. Like, I used to be kind of worried about that, but then I realized that it's really not all that bad, just because Glacial Chasm kind of covers all your bases. Okay, sure. I'm starting to think that Tabernacle is probably not entirely needed in that matchup. Oh, interesting. Like, my boarding plan for that generally will consist of trimming a couple fast bonds. I think two fast bonds, two Tabernacles. And then maybe I'll cut a Bajuka Bug based on whether or not I think they're on uh, Yogmoth's Wheel or not. Okay, sure. And then with those four or five slots, I'll bring in, like, two Stony Silence, chain, uh, a Chain of Mephistopheles, a Crop Rotation, and maybe a Nature's Claim or two. Because I'm pretty sure against a lot of PO decks, it's actually really important to resolve a Crop Rotation against them. Oh, interesting. How many times did you have to explain how chains work to your opponents? Uh, one... I only really cast it against uh, PO players. I think I've only had to explain it once. But that happened to come to effect, like, both games. It's honestly not as complicated as people make it out <laughs> to be. It's really not. I mean, you just think of it as a flowchart and it make, makes your life a whole lot easier. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a, a card where you can read the text and figure out what's going on and be annoyed that you had to read so much text to do that. But Yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot more than you can say about a lot of other old cards. Sure, yeah. Looking at you, 5th uh, edition Sylvan Library, yeah. Lion's Eye Diamond, Mox Diamond, Camouflage. I'm interested in the theory behind that one of Chains of Mephistopheles, because you have a lot of, I mean, obviously your lands are very redundant. You can run one of those and get to it through Bazaar and Life from the Loam. Like, eventually you'll find a land. If you need a land, you'll get one. Mm -hmm. But, like, the one of Chains seems kind of strange, because it's the only thing that's doing what it's doing. How do you, I mean, is it just, like, it's so good that running the one copy is good enough, and you don't want people to be able to deal with it? What's the thought behind it? It's a mix of a few things. The first thing is that it's kind of like a flex slot I had my sideboard. Okay. Jody Keith suggested that it'd be something that he'd run over like a, uh, I think he was playing a choke this weekend and just wanted like a different enchantment he could use as, uh, as a bit of hate. Oh, interesting. Sure. He floated the idea of chains and I thought it sounded like a pretty good idea for a few reasons. Yeah. One, it'll stop paradoxical outcome decks pretty well, because if they're going to try to PO through a chains of Mephistopheles, that's, they're losing a lot of yeah, right. any sort of card advantage to get in there. Sure, pick up all your mocks in and feel free to discard them, friend. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like for a while, Chains was sort of not very good because a lot of the most popular draw effects that were going around were not were draw strictly effects. draw effects, but were... <clears throat> Take through time. <clears throat> you got it. Um, I love Dodge Chains. But with Paradoxical, I mean, that's once again, like... This is a really powerful card that actually says draw. Yeah. It's really awesome. Yeah, and it's it's so much better against cards that say draw a lot of cards. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> because then you really only draw kind of one card. So the real value with it is actually the fact that it's an enchantment. Okay, sure. If you look at like any PO deck nowadays, you're going to see that they've got four Hercules uh, recall and they're 75. And boy, does it suck when you're sitting there with like three Null Rods and a Sphere of Resistance. Yeah. That's a good point, yeah. Well, now you get to sit down with the chains of Mephistop. Like, if you uh, sprinkle a few enchantments in there, too, it kind of forces them to repeal them. Right. But when your opponent's looking at a Stony Sounds and the chains of Mephistopheles, like, what are they going to do about that? Like, they probably only have, like, one, maybe two repeal effects in their deck. Yeah, there's just too many things to deal with that are all different slightly. And, yeah, and you just kind of sit there wastelanding them to hell. Right. Or strip mining them or hell goes quartering them. They probably don't play more than two basics usually. Yeah. There's also another funny interaction with uh, chains of Mephistopheles. You know how it, like, uh, replaces your draw with uh, discard and draw? Yeah. Well, if you've got, like, a life in the loam in your hand, you're like, oh, I discarded life in the loam, I guess I'll dredge it. <laughs> yeah. Which kind of makes it a lot easier for you to uh, mill through your deck, because it's not like you really care that that card was uh, in your hand in the first place in a lot of cases. Right. And that's actually a big strategy for you, is the, the actual mill aspect of it. We talked about the survival deck a lot when we talked to Nam Tran last time, and it's sort of doing the same thing, where it's like, Bizarre is not necessarily the biggest card in the deck, but it's still such an integral part of the deck as far as, you know, finding what you need and plowing through the cards that you need to get to. And that's sort of what you're doing here. Like, opening with Bizarre seems really good in this, even though you're not going to go quite as crazy as a Dredge deck. Mm -hmm. Bizarre's actually really cool in the deck. So a lot of people are moving on to uh, Tormod's Crypt and or, like, Ravenous Trap for uh, Graveyard Hate. Mm -hmm. And I am I am a-okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Tormod's Crypt, that's going to get turned off by, uh, like, Stony Silence effects. Or I can even just force it early with an Ancient Grudge. But even if they, like, Tormod's Crypt me, I'm really not all that scared because, well... I'm playing Bizarre Baghdad. Like, I can just pull my stuff back out of my graveyard before they exile it, right. or I can just tap Bizarre again and just have a well-stocked graveyard again really quickly. Right. Your velocity with the deck isn't so great that you're dumping 20 cards right off the bat, and you've gotten rid of three bridges already because you got Tormod's Cryptid. It's like you're dumping a bunch of redundant pieces, but it's like five total. 
<laughs> yeah, part of the reason why I moved to this deck was because I thought it was pretty cool that, like, I get to play a graveyard, like, synergy deck uh-huh. that can also be, like, pretty aggressive, but also just doesn't get, like, dunked on by graveyard hate. Right. What do you hate to see, then? I guess Leyline of the Void and Rest in Peace tend to be, like, the most annoying ones. Okay. Those make up Bizarre Baghdad pretty bad, and make you actually have to play pretty fair with it. Sure. That's part of why I was so excited when uh, Assassin's Trophy got printed. I'm like, huh, this is the card that Dodge's Mental missed up and hits, like, Leyline of the Void? Yeah. On top of also killing, like, random Oath things yeah. and Planeswalkers? Right. Huh. Yeah, I was going to ask about Assassin's Trophy. It seems like the catch-all answer that this kind of deck would be looking for, where it's like, oh, something went wrong, and I need to answer it. Yeah, gotta say, it's pretty. it's been pretty good. There's a lot of fun things that that card does, including, but, like, not limited to... Uh, Stone raining basics because they're just going to fetch the basics against your wasteland right, deck. Right. Yeah. Now they don't have any left in their deck to find. Killing Jace's one play I did earlier was I was looking at my opponent's uh, dark confidant. I wastelanded one of their lands, trophy to the other, and my tabernacle then wiped off the dark confidant because hmm. they didn't have any uh, mana in play in their upkeep. Sure. Nice. As of course I was sitting high and dry with my own dark confidant in play. Right. Turns out playing a fair game is pretty nice. Yeah. A lot of my sideboards are actually just devoted to being able to just juke sideboard hate. Okay, cool, sure. Oh no, Leyline of the Void? Guess I'll just play a Dark Confidant? Yeah, I will still draw more cards, it's fine. So obviously the kind of permanent graveyard hate, um, anything else? I know there were people playing Repeal against you, or Repeal in their decks rather, and that seems really good against your combo win. That's but... really not that bad. Like... I mean, that's it, like it only answers the one, and it's just pretty good in that one instance a lot of times they're like oh no they repealed my merit lodge i cast life and loan targeting both halves of the combo i've got fast bonds so i'll just play them all again mm-hmm. pass to you 2020 end step again kind of force them to keep repealing it every single turn until they die yeah so what are you looking for in your opening hand i mean something with bizarre or something with um one of the mana bond effects uh, i'd say like a mana bond effect that's going to resolve a lot of times i'll look at a hand and be like yeah i'll keep this hand that just has like a bizarre or two, like a fast bond effect or two, and then a bunch of Uno cards. Sure. If the hand can cast an old rod on turn two, I'll usually be pretty happy with that as well. If the hand has uh, just like stage and deaths in it, I'll probably take him in to think about my life <laughs> and guessing the odds that uh, they'll just have a handful of counter magic that can't actually interact with an uncounterable 2020 and like bet my life on yeah. that. Really depends on what I think the meta's looking like. How often does that sort of plan get you there? Because I know like. If you're just running those lands out there, it takes a long time. You feel like you're not doing anything. Sometimes you can just, if like, if you just resolve the exploration on turn one, you'll just be like, oops, I made a 2020 on turn two, Mr. Oath right. player. And I'm, I know you got that Oath in play, but, like, you're at negative five now. Right. Although there are certainly a lot of games where you just kind of sit there awkwardly looking at a bunch of Uno cards in your hand and wondering what you're doing with your life. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's still part of it, is you're still a hate deck and need to draw the right kinds of answers against the deck that you're playing against. A lot of the stuff really just depends on that. Thankfully, using a mix of Bizarre Baghdad and Life and Alum makes it pretty easy to actually sift through uh, cards in your deck. Yeah, you actually have a pretty robust draw engine compared to a lot of other hate decks. Yeah, you effectively have, like, Divination on buyback. Two for Alum, three mana to turn those three lands into two cards off the top of your deck. Right. And with the actual land drops, it's not too hard to pay that three mana every turn. So what else did you play against at the TSI? You played against a bunch of PO, but what what, are, what were your other opponents playing? Uh, round one PO, uh, round two uh, Archon Oath, round three was, uh, I think uh, it was Jayco Drazi, round four was uh, Bug Pile featuring Assassin's Trophy, woof, and uh, Death Rite Shaman, that wasn't fun. Round five was then against uh, 
Three Color Hate Bears, <laughs> a, a Jake Hilty uh, special. Was it played by Jake or was it played by Steve at that time? That one was by Steve. Okay, yeah, we had two players at the Invitational who sort of split time over this one deck because one of them could be there in the early rounds and the other one could be there in the later rounds joint custody of the deck yeah so they <laughs> played against each other before the tournament to decide whose deck would get played and then uh, they switched midway through the tournament obviously we were all fine with this because uh we're a bunch of casuals thousand percent serious yeah right it's pure tsi behavior definitely legitimate for a sanctioned tournament yeah no it's fine <laughs> yes yeah, the most legitimate thing that I, I as a judge have ever seen in my life <laughs> clearly we are not sanctioned but anyway not remotely so i imagine i i mean looking or listening to your uh list of opponents that you played against it seems like i mean i can predict that colorless eldrazi would be kind of a cakewalk like it seems like they just never have lands and i, I almost fell asleep in the match yeah your opponent goes like i uh, i uh, i have ugin uh mimic mimic go and you're just like tabernacle they're like yeah right or they they cast a turn one null rod and you're just like you look at your hand wasteland you go and they're like yeah that's basically how the yeah, matchup right. went and since they're like a colorless deck you're like okay so their side is gonna have like four graft diggers cage that i could not care less about they probably have ley lines right then they'll either have like some ley line of sanctities or maybe some ley yeah. lines of the void but even then that's not gonna really interact right. with me all that well like maybe i'll just sit there and laugh my ass off as they continue to draw like ley line of the voids that weren't in their opening hand that seems pretty easy that seems like the legacy matchup like that's what this deck was built to do anyway oh it's easier than the legacy matchup because they only have one chalice of the void yeah and you have bazaars i imagine that the hate bears list is kind of similar where you're like they're relying on having a bunch of colors and he still had like death right shaman it's not like i'm on a still on a punishing fire engine, okay. uh, engine anymore yeah i guess the, the death right shaman would be really good death right shaman's like Part of a reason why I consider uh, sneaking a pything needle into my sideboard every now and then. Oh, interesting, sure. Just as like a way to answer Planeswalkers or uh, uh, Deathrite Shamans. Yeah, because they'll, I mean, Deathrite Shaman, you can still get back lands, but you can't get back the right lands, I assume, with Life from the Loam. I mean, even then, it really depends on if they have the, the Black Cup to eat the Loam itself. Oh, interesting, sure. Yeah. Sometimes if you just kind of force them to sit there and keep tapping the, uh, the Deathrite Shaman on your turn... Having a life on them just keeps it so your graveyard will be surprisingly empty of lands. Uh-huh. So they'll have to sit there and eating lands from their own graveyard to keep uh, paying for that Deathrite Shaman. Uh-huh. There are ways to fight against it, and a lot of it just kind of involves having to uh, wasteland them a whole bunch in one turn. Okay. Then loam them all back at once. So you can wasteland them a whole bunch the next turn as well. Hey, right, yeah, you sort of just overwhelm their Deathrite Shaman. Yeah, or you just play a Dark Confidant and naturally draw into a twenty twenty. Nice. I guess that sort of covers both the hate bears and the bug list, where it's like that's those are their ways to interact with you. I mean, the bug list also has assassin's trophy. Mm -hmm. I did certainly lose one game to good old uh, assassin's trophy into snapcast assassin's trophy. Okay. On my uh, attempt to make a 2020 and to attempt to make a second 2020. Oh, nice. That was a rough game. Yeah, that seems awkward for you. At least you have a forest to get. You got a forest after the first one. I'm like, ah, that'll show you. I guess. Yeah, right. Uh, and then, I mean, against Archon Oath, I mean, I think the, the scary part of that is sort of Oath, which we already talked about a little, and that you have Tabernacle to answer them, and otherwise you don't have any creatures, you can copy their Forbidden Orchard with Thespian Stage, your Dark Depths can become active at the end of their turn, so all of that is not a problem. But your opponent was playing Archon, was it Archon of Valor's Reach? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so what's the, I mean... That shuts off a card type. Yes. And is the worst one for you... 
sorceries because it shuts off life from the loam? Generally speaking, yeah. Okay. I do literally have four sorceries in the whole deck. Right, but it's really good. Like, for literally you. the entire 75, but they're, uh, they're like most of the spells I'm going to be casting. Right. Like we've got the 80-20 rule in effect here. 20% of the spells in your deck are getting cast 80% of the time. Right. And Well, and I mean, your enchantments are all redundant. So it's like if you've gotten one of them out, like you're already yeah, then I don't really care. kind of okay. Right. I mean, those are all of the fast bond similar effects exploration mm-hmm. etc gotta say that that matchup was was pretty awkward the first time i played against that he uh yeah I, I had a i had a crockets in my hand and i'm like oh i'm playing against oath this this will be pretty easy right oath into an archon i'm like right okay well, that's rough <laughs> well i have this crop rotation i can rotate into a 2020 eventually oath the second time into an inferno titan and i'm like <laughs> okay that's not the worst that third one's probably gonna be a grizzle brand oh it's again it's a second archon i'm like wait what yeah 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 that one was on instant, and I'm like, okay, never mind. I'm just, I'm just out of this now. Oh, that thing's not a, not a legendary creature. No, no, it's not. It's terrible. There are zero legendary creatures in that deck, and I'm just like, well, that's supremely awkward. Yeah, your Caracas seemed real bad there. <laughs> Did you play both of those on camera? Because I think both of those are yes, will be available on YouTube, and I can link to them. Uh, they're, I mean, they're they're interesting matches simply to watch the lands deck work for one. Uh, and actually, I think the Archon Oath deck is kind of cool too. So I would I would definitely check those out. I'll link those. Where do you see the lands deck going from here? I mean, obviously, this is sort of based on legacy. Are there improvements that you want to make to it? What kind of cards would you be looking for it? I've been having some considerations. The uh, Since my last build, I decided to go up to a fourth Riftstone portal, which I think has been a good idea. Mm-hmm. Like, that card is just... Just bananas. Yeah, I think that that's great. I love seeing that because Bizarre is so good in the early game, but in the late game, like, you really want to cast your spells, and it helps you cast those loams or whatever else you need to. So I, I think that that's great. Or even, like, naturally thaw your Dark Depths when they pie the Needle Thespian stage. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, and you were talking, too, about being able to power into Stony Silence and stuff like that out of the board, and maybe even playing Stony Silence over Null Rod. A play that I've made uh, over the course of the day has been, like, Turn one Bizarre Baghdad, discard a Sun Portal. Next turn, tap my Bizarre Baghdad and something else for mana to cast its only silence. Mm-hmm. So, like, the reason that the uh, Null Rods are in the main deck instead of in the sideboard, or even having Stony Silence in the main deck over that, is just because uh, white mana can be kind of unreliable in the deck. Sure. Like, I've got a uh, one Savannah and some Fetchlands, and I also have, like, a Riston Portal that, if I'm really desperate, I can, like, wasteland myself if I really need to get in the graveyard for white mana. Sure. Well, like, that being said, white mana can be pretty hard to come by. You really just want to kind of, like, stick the rod effect on turn two. Because there's a lot of times where you end up with a hand that's just, like, three Thespian stages, a Dark Depths, and a Null Rod. And you're like, well, like, I guess I'm keeping this. <laughs> yeah. I've had hands like that, and they did, in fact, uh, get me there. Just because, turns out, Null Rod's a good card. And I still had, like, a four or five turn clock. Yeah, there are definitely opponent's hands that will play into Null Rod and you'll just kind of laugh at them. Like, nice deck. That was good. This just in. Null Rod's a good card. Yeah, thanks for playing. Both players tried hard. Yeah. So anything else? I mean, like, things that my primitive brain would think of are, like, Crucible and or, as you said, Ramanop Excavator, things like that. Are those considerations or are those too expensive? I've run Ramanop in the past and I'm thinking about giving it another go. Okay. Just because uh, it's surprising quality in, a, in an Oath matchup. Okay, sure. Just because your opponent jams an oath and you realize that you can just out-oath them. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, I don't know, something that uh, came to mind recently with uh, Guilds of Ravnica has been uh, what happens if I have, like, sideboard uh, experimental frenzies. Oh, interesting, sure. Like, I've got all these uh, fast bond effects, and, like, uh, my previous build of this was just kind of, like, straight red-green. Huh. Like, what happens if you uh, go back to playing a couple gambles? Uh, maybe you'll play, like, an experimental frenzy or two, and really just kind of go nuts with a whole bunch of exploration effects. Yeah. 
Like, you go fast bond, play an experimental frenzy, and now, like, you can just keep chugging through a whole bunch of lands in your deck. Play as many lands as you want. Use a Bizarre Baghdad to uh, clear off the top of your deck because the top of your deck isn't a land. Right, sure. Keep doing fair things. Yeah, no, that seems cool. I had not thought of that application of Experimental Frenzy. I know most people are just playing it to, like, get artifacts off the top of their library. Think of all the null rods you could play. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Anything along the lines of Chains of Mephistopheles, where you have, like, one deck that you particularly want to answer and you want to have some haymaker for them? That's kind of what my sideboard is already. Okay. Like, you look at my sideboard, you kind of see a bunch of enchantments in there that are just kind of meant to smack combo decks, more or less. Sure. Since most of the combo decks are basically going to be uh, artifact-based nowadays. Yeah. What are you going to do? Hercules Recall my Stony Silence? Yeah, and I suppose combo decks are going to be a bigger problem for you than like a workshop stack where they're, for the most part, just playing creatures and trying to attack. Yeah, workshop is always like a little weird just because sometimes you kind of get like, you kind of get those hands that don't have green mana, uh-huh. or sometimes you keep a hand that just only really has like a single green source. And sometimes they'll just kind of really awkwardly sphere you out. Yeah. But also sometimes you'll get the games where they just kind of go like, turn one workshop inspector, and you just kind of go like, land exploration tabernacle, and your opponent's like, Oh no, <laughs> yeah. Or they'll play their own sphere of resistance, and you just trap them under it and laugh off. Right. Well, and I mean, like, you have three main deck Ancient Grudge, which seems pretty good already. I mean, like, that's... It is pretty good. There's so many times where that's just such a beating where you can remove only the things that matter and have six removal spells for them. Like, that's... Yep, you sure got some one ones in there. Cool story. Yeah, right. Yeah, I gotta say, Steel Overseer isn't very uh, threatening when there's a Null Rod in play. Right. So you played against no workshops, right? Which is weird for Cleveland, huh? Yeah, that is actually really, really strange. Oh, Cleveland's changed. Uh, now, I think maybe Nam coming off of his second place finish at Eternal Weekend was uh, partying a little too hard. He was playing combo. Yeah, he's on two card Monty. Two card Monty. I don't count that as a workshop deck. Like I said, partying a little too hard. You know, we we've lost. Well, I mean, we haven't lost them. They just don't come out anymore. We've we've lost a lot of players of workshops. Nam and Dwayne are the two who will play it regularly. But like Jerry used to play it, but now plays combo. Tuan doesn't show up. Trogda doesn't show up. Randall will play whatever he wants, which you know might be workshops or might be some other madness. Uh, Raj plays shops. Yeah, uh, well, he's he's been playing combo too, though. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of turned that into like combo decks. More recently. Yeah. He's like the last Shops player I, uh, I lost to at a TSO I played at. I beat Nam and then proceeded to lose to Raj in the very next round on the same deck. Yeah. And, and maybe maybe Combo Shops is just the way to go between the two-card Monty and the Experimental Frenzy deck that Raj has been playing. Hmm. There you go. That's your hot tip. If you're not playing lands, you should play Combo Shops. But Combo Shops, how does that beat Glacial Chasm? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't... <laughs> I don't know how that deck wins. <laughs> Doesn't it just ignore Glacial Chasm because it has Ether Flux Reservoir? That does damage. Oh, it does. Oh, that's yeah. I was thinking Glacial Chasm shut off attacks, but it shuts off damage. Wait. Oh no, it's all damage. All damage. What, is, what is that Ether Flux card? I don't even know what that card is. Jeff, do you know what that card is? If I stopped us to talk about every card that I don't know what it is, we wouldn't get anywhere in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll I'll read the text of Aetherflux Reservoir because this is what people are winning with now. It's a four-drop artifact. Whenever you cast a spell, you gain one life for each spell you've cast this turn. So it counts. Even if you play it later in the turn, it will count previous spells. Storm for life. And then, second ability... Pay 50 life, Ether Flux Reservoir deals 50 damage to target creature or player. That's adorable. <laughs> yep. It gets shut off by Glacial Chasm. That's all that matters. You just kind of like rotate for Glacial Chasm. They're just like, what does that card do? And you realize they just finished drawing through all but like two or three cards in your deck, and then they just lose. It's really nice. So 
So that's where we are. That's I don't cool. even understand this game anymore. I realized a bit ago <laughs> that I've never oh. understood this game. I think it was around the time when Frank was beating down with some thespian stages that had cloned some dudes. That was pretty early <laughs> on in this episode. Yeah. Why are you attacking with your thespian stages? They're tutus. What? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Can you explain this to me? I'll I'll tell you about it after the match. It's important. <laughs> anyway, take two. Take two more. And two more. And oh, sh- I died to Doomsday. Yeah. That tends to be how that goes. Yeah. Oh, Dark Grit. That's really easy for me to interact with. You should have played counter spells. Uh, I've played Revs You before. got mental missteps. No problem. Yeah. That'll blow them out. Yeah. If I could, like, hide it on top of my deck and pick it up with the Bazaar, then it might work out. Although, like, in an earlier build of this, when I still was playing Gambles, I used to have Mind Break Traps as a part of my sideboard. If anything were to happen to Mental Mistup, I assume a lot of people would, like, start playing Dark Ritz again, which is a lot harder to interact with than, like, Moxin. Yeah. Which means I have to, like, move over onto, like, Spheres or uh, Mind Break Traps if I don't want to die. Oh, yeah, I guess you could play Spheres in this because so many of your spells are actually just lands and unaffected. Have you tried that? Like, it's part of the Legacy strategy already. Okay, sure. Like, a lot of times you'll go, like, turn one exploration, turn two loam, followed by, like, a sphere of resistance. My sphere, sure. Or even just a turn one sphere of resistance off of, like, a mox diamond or something. Right. But you're kind of okay just because you can, uh, like, keep hitting your land drops more consistently than your opponent in most cases. I mean, when half your deck is lands, I'm sure you're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, uh, last time I played this, I, I had a, uh, in the Chains of Mephistopheles slot, uh, is actually another sphere of resistance. Because uh, I had a problem where uh, I would just get, like, Hercules Recall, untap, you lose. Oh, sure. So I was trying to figure out, like, okay, should I try to keep them off of Hercules mana by playing, like, Sphere of Resistance? Well, like, eventually I decided that, you know, I would have a bunch of Vatch Lands in here and some uh, Riftstone Portals. Right. It's not like it's going to be hard for me to play Stony Silence against a deck that's not going to wasteland me. Right. You know? And that's kind of, like, become the plan. Yeah. So I think we'll start talking about Time Vault now, because one of the benefits that this deck has is that it plays around Jace the Mind Sculptor, because you can just make the token at the end of your opponent's turn, and they have no chance to bounce it with the Jace the Mind Sculptor unsummon button. Yeah, in that case, they need to have a flying creature to to throw in the way. Yeah, they have to block. But there aren't exactly a lot of flying creatures in this this format. Right, yeah, and I, I mean... So I was playing against Jody Keefe at Eternal Weekend, and I had turn one Jace the Mind Sculptor and knew that it was no good against the combo. So we were playing this game, and my plan just happened to be to try and ramp Jace because I know that I can't... I lost to that at the at the TSI. The good old turn one preordained, turn two Lotus Jace, plus two, plus two, plus two, plus two, plus two, plus two. Yeah. And it, like, good thing you didn't draw green mana. Right, and I'm not. I'm certainly not going to fate seal against lands because they will get the cards out of the way. I fate seal against myself, try and draw into better cards, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, that was my plan. At some point in the game, I resolved Time Vault. So one of my absolute favorite plays is to manual untap Time Vault. You know, not have Voltaic Key, just untap it, let my opponent go again. We'll figure it out later. I have an instant speed Time Lock. So you were watching this match in the judge clothes of course in the role of judge yes so we, we weren't interacting with you you were just watching yeah, even like a lot of times I'll, I'll look at it and be like yep i'm lending the uh, the guy on the right some power and the guy on the left is uh, a guy i play vintage with uh, all the time i.e you yeah right. sure 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 best thing about judging i understand so i'm i'm playing against jody keith and he gets the combo in play and i realize okay i'm about to lose but i have tap time vault in play he passes and my immediate thought is, I should untap Time Vault here. 
because I won't have a turn. He can't activate in response because there is no response. Like the time vault untap step is this hazy weird thing that happens after my opponent's it's a replacement effect yeah it it that happens after my opponent has already ended their turn and before anything else has happened so it's almost like it's between turns and the creature will not come into play early enough to be able to attack Mm -hmm. you have to do that uh before you do that and in this case it'd be playing into jace yeah and it's 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 real weird but my thought was that i should do this the idea is that you'll be able to untap the time vault and he will only be able to make a summoning sick 2020 right okay his better play there is to not activate and not get blown out yeah and not get blown out so he what what would happen is he passes the turn with his combo in play but not activated i untap time vault and it immediately goes back to his turn like he just starts his turn again i can explain this from a rules perspective go for it man uh, the wording on Time Vault says, if you would begin your turn while Time Vault is tapped, you may uh, skip that turn instead. If you do, untap it. Instead, don't. Yeah. So, like, what most people do is they'll try to make it on their opponent's end step. But here he is passing the turn to uh, to his opponent. Like, the, the owner of the Time Vault cannot be like, okay, so as I begin my turn, I will skip it instead. It's right back to you immediately. Because you do that, no one actually gains any priority on his turn. So the last time that the Dark Depths player would have an opportunity to make a 20-20 would be on his own end step. But of course, if he goes and makes the 20-20 on his own end step, you're just not going to skip your turn. You'll just unsummon the thing and go back on with your life. Hmm. So anyway, the thing was that I had this realization while we were playing. And, you know, there is a judge there observing our game that I could certainly clarify and make sure that this is actually how I'm thinking of it. (laughs) And instead... I elected not to. Went to my turn, brainstormed with Jace, passed the turn, and died. Would you like to win the game, Nat, or would you like to lose the game? Exactly. Ah. This is exactly what happens to me. Instead of doing a good thing, I just lose the game. So the lessons that I want people to take from this are that manual untapped time vault is powerful and you should use it. And also, You don't hear that very often. Right. No, I, I I think it actually is it is powerful and people should use it more often. I use it all the time and I don't know why I didn't there, especially because I knew how it worked and should have done it. And the other thing is that if you have an opportunity to not lose the game and potentially win the game, you should take that opportunity. Do the better play. Do the right play. But what if I just like really like making bad plays? There may be a bright future for you on Team Serious. Are you aware? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You can you can have a podcast. <laughs> what, was what was that? Some guy wrote an article about this. John Rizzo. Rizzo John Rizzo yeah. wrote about being the Bruce. If you look up the John Bruce, Rizzo that's what I was looking for. And, and Bruce, you will find this article, which Brassman and I talk about this article all the time. All about making compulsive bad plays. Yeah, it's like, why do you do this? I don't know. I just do. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just like to make bad plays. I can't help it. Yeah, it's definitely an article worth reading. I'll link it in the write-up. So that's that's the time vault story, and it was relevant here because we also talked about lands, and Frank was there. That's neat. This had everything. I was expecting yeah. some like really horrifying rules interaction with time vault that you never knew before, but it turned out it was something you knew all along. You just sucked at. Yeah, I knew all along, and I just didn't take advantage of it. What if it was like 2007? You played Flame Fusillade. Ah. Yeah. I don't think there's any card that's gotten just as much rules errata, like functional rules errata, as time vault. Totally. And like the changes are so far apart. Yeah. I mean, it's not like like there are some that it's just like, this doesn't look anything like this. Yeah. I remember when I got back into Vintage the second time, 
I think it was pretty fresh off the errata that made Vault Key a thing. And I was just like, this is abusive and never should be in the format. And I was just like real passionate that this was a bad decision. And it probably took me a couple of years to get over that and really decide. And I think that, Nat, you and I had conversations and essentially that Vintage has a diverse enough card pool that the community can adapt to really just mm-hmm. about anything that comes up if they want to. And I mean, like, Vault Key is good, but it's not, it's just not what it used to be. It's not. Yeah, it's hardly even played anymore. Except your uh, Lord and Savior, Nullrod, and Ancient Grudge. You're right. Yeah, right. exactly. So it's funny how yeah. how times change like that. Yeah, well, I remember when people were talking about, like, outright banning either Time Vault or Tinker or both for whatever reason. Yogmoth's Will had, had been discussed for a ban, too, where it's like, that seems, like, really extreme. Like, I think restricting cards is pretty extreme. But... Banning, huh? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Complain about everything and uh, speculate baselessly. That's exactly yeah. right. That's, that's the name of the game. <laughs> So holiday food. These are important topics. We are in the holiday season. Uh, like chili, yes. Like like chili, yes. It's very cold out. Quite chilly. Is yeah. chili really a holiday food, though? Like, it's a seasonal food, but I don't necessarily think of it as a holiday food. Oh, of course not. It's completely a seasonal food, but it won't stop me from eating it at holidays. It won't stop me from eating it in the summer, either. What? Yeah, I mean, we, we eat it all the time, but I, I definitely think of it as, as a more, like, fallish food when the weather starts getting colder. Sure, I guess. I, I guess. I don't know. But I wouldn't consider it a holiday food. No. So I guess I guess that's where we are. We're looking between like Thanksgiving and Christmas or whatever your, you know, midwinter celebration happens to be. And, you know, I think there are certain foods that you associate with holidays. How do those fare? Do you only eat them at holidays? Sarah and I were talking about some food that I can't remember. Oh, no, never mind. It was those stupid red flowers that are around during Christmas. Poinsettias. Like, nobody likes poinsettias. They're only around. She's like, she's over there. She's like, I like poinsettias. No, nobody likes poinsettias. If we liked them, we would have them around other times. Don't let your cats eat them. They're poinsettias. That's true. They They are toxic. Yeah. But I mean, that's really the question at hand, isn't it? Like, if we really like these holiday foods so much, turkey, for instance, why don't we eat it the rest of the year? I mean, I feel like there's a ceremony around the Thanksgiving meal, like putting the turkey together and whatever all the sides are that you eat. So do you think that that ceremony discourages you from eating it throughout the rest of the year? Because like that would be taking some of the fire away from the ceremonial Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's wrong. I mean, like, I think, I think, I think (laughs) you should eat turkey whenever you want. I think you can eat turkey whenever you please, because it's a fine food to eat. Like I like turkey. Yeah. And part of the nice thing about turkey is that it comes with all the leftovers, which you can make sandwiches or pot pies or soup or whatever you want to do. Like I appreciate turkey. And even though, even though I think it's one of the, like on the hierarchy of like Thanksgiving holiday foods, like it's one of the worst ones. Really? It's a really boring food. Like turkey by itself is just like, this is kind of like dry chicken. Oh yeah, that's why I use turkey for my chili. I think that there's a really wide spectrum of turkey because you can have 
good turkey and you can also have bad turkey and like the difference is huge more That's... than i would say lots of other foods because bad turkey is real bad but good turkey is really good right yeah i agree with that i i would say that on average though on average turkey is not great because people are kind of bad at making it yeah Low floor high ceiling uh evaluation of the card right. is that what i'm hearing yeah and i mean like you know part of it like I think there's a discouraging factor from actually stuffing the turkey. And I think that's a big problem because stuffing the turkey is what actually makes the turkey taste good. Mm-hmm. That takes work. <laughs> I mean, it's not that much work and you get to stick your hand inside an animal. Like that's kind of cool, but, it, but I mean, is like, it? I mean, I don't know about that. That's fine. But I mean, like it doesn't take that much extra work. Like you're already doing all this other stuff. Like all you need to do is put a bowl of bread cubes together with some onion and some egg and some celery and the giblets and you just you know salt and pepper and cram it up the turkey and that just makes the turkey so much better i think the holiday meal is good but the thing i always struggle with is like oh what are the vegetable sides i'm gonna add and this year i found a uh roasted carrot recipe with ricotta and pistachios and it was so good i i just made it for dinner like two weeks after thanksgiving because i wanted to make it again awesome you're gonna share that recipe right i will yeah i mean it's just maple syrup and apple cider vinegar and herbs and ricotta and pistachios excellent yeah it's very simple and like pretty much the only things you need to buy are probably carrots pistachios and uh ricotta neat yeah no that sounds good yeah, see, I mean, I feel like the other things that come with the meal are just better than a lot of the main focal points of the meal. And it's definitely better to find a new recipe and try it out and, you know, have it be good than it is to... I often feel like we get really caught up on traditional sides and that edges out anything new from taking their place because a certain amount of effort has to go into making mashed potatoes stuffing i i mean i really like that we we our family still makes red cabbage i don't know why we still make red cabbage there is like exactly one person who likes that yeah and i eat it like it's like (laughs) is that penance or is there are you the one person that likes it no no your dad is the only one i think who actually cares and i (laughs) eat it because it's there and i eat some of everything it's good. Like I'm fine with red cabbage, but certainly not like a thing I care about. I think that this came up for me because not this year, but last year and the year before Thanksgiving was at my house and I was coordinating it. And so I had to own like the sign up sheet for the foods. And it really seemed like we were basically hitting all of the same familiar ones. Like the list itself has like mashed potatoes and red cabbage and all of these things on it. It's like no one can make anything different because someone has to sign up to make X. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And like there's the whole list of stuff that are just apparently required. Cranberry sauce is important, man. I mean, it is. I mean, cranberry sauce is a minor offender because as far as I'm concerned, you get that stuff out of a can and it's wonderful and it's it's low stress. And it better have those ridges on the side or I'm not eating it. No way. You need, you need to make it with booze. Oh? You just add booze to it? Please explain, JC. I mean, there's different kinds of recipes with booze. Wine. Sure. Brandy whiskey does it start with the canned stuff or do you like have to actually no you you use fresh cranberries and you you cook them in a with sugar and whatever else you want in a pan and then liquor yeah all right that's too much effort yeah that sounds like a lot of effort is it legitimately better i mean i like i think the homemade fresh cranberry stuff is so good and it's not hard like 
I made two different kinds this year, and I did both of them while I was on mute on a conference call working from home. I'm telling your employer. I don't care. <laughs> that is the proper response. I guess the question for me regarding the cranberry sauce is because that's one of those things where, um, and we, we actually, as far as the red cabbage goes, and I don't know if it's still that <laughs> way, but um, I know that my grandma used to slave over making the red cabbage and like it had to be this way. And then my mom just like, when she took it over one year, she just snuck a jar of red of like store-bought red cabbage in there. Yeah. And my grandmother was like, the red cabbage is really good, Carolyn. <laughs> uh. I mean, and that's how I've always felt about canned cranberry sauces. I haven't had a lot of homemade cranberry sauce, but right. in most cases, like I think the canned stuff is just really good, maybe better. Well, I mean, because so it's like maybe... yellow, right? I mean, it's definitely like a dessert. Yeah, it's cranberry jelly. It's wonderful. If you if you make it out of actual cranberries, it's like like actual cranberries are bitter and they have have like what usually like orange peel in them. Yeah. So it's like it's definitely more a taste accent than a thing you just want to take a big spoonful of. <laughs> well, in the in the cranberry sauces, like it is the best part of days two through five of Thanksgiving sandwiches. Agree. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely hmm. goes on sandwiches. Yeah, it's a spread. I haven't considered that. You put that. On the bread, I've not done that yet. And then you make a sandwich with leftover turkey, stuffing, sweet potatoes, regular potatoes. And french fries. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Huh. Huh. Okay. That's interesting. I've not done that. Well, do you put stuffing on the on your sandwiches? No. I generally don't have Thanksgiving sandwiches. I just reheat the turkey and just eat it. Okay. So this is why you don't like turkey. But I do like turkey. Nat's the one who doesn't like turkey. No, I just think it's one of the worst parts of the meal. I think you're the worst part of the meal. That's not. <laughs> he's, he's got you there. So, I mean, I just, it's really hurtful. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't no. think it's like the worst part of the meal, but I think it's definitely better as a leftover. Like he's backpedaling. I'm not. <laughs> Let's just wrap this up. This sucks. <laughs> This has been our best food and food <laughs> episode ever. All right. So the one thing I actually wanted to hear about now that we introduced it a while ago was, so Frank said that his holiday family food is ravioli. And I just wanted to know about that. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do, do whatever you want with turkey. I don't care. Fill ravioli with turkey. So, <laughs> so like, you know what you're saying with like your grandmother wasn't with the... Uh... The red cabbage? Yeah. Yeah, with the red cabbage. Yeah, my my grandmother's kind of the the same way with ravioli. She'll uh, slave over that every year, uh, hand make it, and of course, like I'll sit there and stuff my face with it every year. And like she'll do this at more than just like Thanksgiving too. Like this is just like the type of thing that she'll just do at like Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving, anything. But there was one year where my dad just kind of like challenged her, like, "Hey, I bet I can make a better ravioli than you." Oh man! So of course we decided to have a blind taste test, and uh, I don't know if my dad uh, greased anyone's palms, but. Uh, Apparently, the, the reviews were positive in his favor. Oh, no. And like, uh-oh. This is just like sneaking that store-bought cabbage. So what's the ravioli? I mean, describe to me this ravioli. Be explicit. So, like, uh, you take, like, a, a ravioli. It's going to be, like, approximately the size of, like, a kind of larger pierogi. Okay. Because, well, most of my, uh, my grandmother's uh, half, half the family is just, like, from a coal mining town. So, of course, a lot of, like, Eastern Europeans. Sure. And clearly, that's where a lot of the uh, inspiration for, like, this ravioli came from, where... It's kind of like a pierogi, but just kind of, like, filled with meat instead of, like, potatoes. What kind of meat? Beef? Oh, it's always, uh, like, ground beef and, uh, like, ground beef and onions and some quantity of spices. Okay. But more importantly, the whole thing is just, like, slathered in, uh, like, ludicrous amounts of, like, a, uh, of, like, a tomato sauce of sorts. 
Sure. It really feels like you're eating, like, meat pierogies in a way, because they certainly look more like pierogies than they do, like, uh, traditional raviolis. Okay. Like, everything from, like, the, the shape on down. Yeah. But, like, the, the presentation with, like, the, just, like, the sauce and everything is just very clearly, uh, like, ravioli. Nice. I'm intrigued. Do you know what kind of spices go into it? I do not know. I'm, I'm assuming, like, I really want to find out secret. Recipe. Yeah, this is one of those things that's actually really important to get, because yeah. how old is your grandmother? She needs the pet. Oh no! No, no, she's she's still alive and kicking. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm just saying we need to preserve these things because yeah, if you let them go, they'll be this gone. Is this is definitely the kind of recipe you need to get and possibly yeah. share with the internet. This is the type of recipe where if I get this recipe, it's going to be like a pinch of this and a dash of that, and you're just like, you know, oh, that's, hell no. that's okay because that gives you a place to start and experiment from. Yeah, definitely have some of those. Yeah. yeah. Official measurements. I mean, they actually are official measurements. Those are official measurements. <laughs> oh. Really? Yes. There are graduated sizes for those. For a pinch and a dash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say I learned. Huh. So Frank's family has ravioli. Josh, does your family have anything? Do you do, you do anything that's like, we have to have? A uh, holiday tradition for my father is probably uh, Woodbridge Chardonnay. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> mm. I was kind of expecting yours to be alcohol, so that's great. <laughs> I mean, so most of the time when I see him drink it, he actually has strawberries in his glass. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of a meal. Uh, uh, strawberries it, and wine. Makes it fancy. Yeah. <clears throat> you fancy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Do we have any other traditions, Jeff, that our family... You remember those candied apples that grandma used to put on the... Uh, my grandmother gives me those all the time. The little, candied... No, that apples they were apple rings but they were like spiced candied apples that they Wait, came in what? a jar oh yeah candy apple rings oh man i avoided those they were bright red i don't know why. <laughs> they <People>. were terrifying <laughs> why, why were they terrifying they were kind of like a pickle yeah it was like pickled apple but yeah. it just uh, crimson red like so red yeah. yeah no all the candied apples i've always had have just been like laminated with like chocolate and caramel on a stick yeah, they, right. sorry, candied apple was the wrong word for it. It's really more of a pickled apple in spices. I think they were called spiced apple rings or something like that. You can get Spabbles. them in a jar. They're at the grocery store. They're um, interesting. Terrifying. And terrifying is probably a fine word for it. It's happened again. <laughs> You've wasted another hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. I'm Josh Chapel, And I'm Frank Single. And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Take a little trip, take a little trip, take a little trip and see. I feel like this segment has gone off the rails almost on the level of how to pronounce Eldrazi. Eldrazo? <laughs> exactly. You like Eldrazos? I have to pee so bad. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the thing we want to wrap it up on. Yep, that, that's, that's the one. Winner. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs>